Friday, October 7th at the Electric Owl Social Club. MiniCooper.net proudly presents Portland duo Anjali and the Incredible Kid, along with Okapi Musica and Hyena DJs. You don't want to miss this amazing and unique night of Bollywood, Bangra, and Congolese rumba. Doors open at 8, tickets are $12 in advance and 15 at the door. Proudly sponsored by CITR 101.9 FM. Today on the Arts Report, The Trial of Judith Kay comes to UBC Theater, giving Kafka a fresh spin. Uh, also, actor and director Jason Priestley is on the show to talk about the DVD release of his TV series, Call Me Fitz. Also, a gallery showing about shipwrecks and a preview of the Vancouver International Film Festival. And, of course, free tickets to The Trial of Judith Kay. So stay with us. <laughs> Welcome to the Arts Report for September the 28th, 2011. My name is Adam Janusz, and the Arts Report is your weekly fix of arts and culture news and interviews here on CITR 101.9 FM, and we are streaming online at citr.ca. We've got a great show for you today. We've got Jason Priestley on the show. Yes, Brandon from uh, 90210, but of course from... Yeah, Anna's excited. Um, but of course, for many other things, including Call Me Fitz, a series that he acts in and uh, directs sometimes as well. And he, as you will hear, has been directing for a very long time. So a very multi-talented uh, fellow he is. And he'll be on today's show. Uh, plus, we'll tell you about the trial of Judith Kay, which is a, a spin on Kafka's The Trial. And it's sort of a gender-bending twist, if I can say that. Um, it takes the, the lead character and makes it a woman and, um, and gives it a, a modern revival. And uh, so we'll hear about that show coming to UBC, uh, well, done by UBC Theatre, uh, coming to the Frederick Wood Theatre at UBC. That's what I was trying to skate around. And uh, also, we'll tell you about a unique um, show, uh, an art gallery showing called The Voyage, or Three Years at Sea, Part 2, which is a very long title and sounds very interesting. We'll get the scoop on what that is about. The hint is shipwrecks. And, of course, we've got some very exciting things coming in the next little while. The Vancouver International Film Festival is starting tomorrow. Tons of films to be seen in theaters all over Vancouver from every corner of the world. I was about to say universe. Uh, every corner of the world. Um, so we'll give you a little uh, preview, a little taste of what you should see, or at least what's available to be seen. And Culture Days is also coming this weekend. This is where arts institutions all over, well, the country, really, but um, all over Vancouver, open up their doors to people such as yourself to go into the theater and maybe see uh, a work in progress being rehearsed or tour a facility or see a concert or something like that, all for free. So it's all about the arts uh, opening their doors to, to the public, arts organizations. So that's kind of exciting, and that's happening this weekend. So there's a lot of really cool things to check out coming at you in the next couple of days. So we'll tell you about uh, those things. Now, it is September 21st, and this is right around the time that 
Different uh, theater companies and other arts institutions are opening uh, their seasons for 2011 and 2012. So I thought it would be a good time to take a moment to, to share with you my wishes for the arts organizations out there um, for the season. For example, uh, The Trial of Judith Kay. You know, uh, UBC is starting out to their season. It's the first show of the season. They're, they're surely very excited to, to get going and uh, no doubt have some great uh, things to contribute. Oh, by the way, did I, did I mention that? We're giving free tickets away to that. Yes, we are. Free tickets to see The Trial of Judith Kay at the Frederick Wood Theatre, so stay tuned for that. But anyway, so, so they're putting on this show, and so is the Arts Club and the Playhouse and uh, everyone in between. And, well, if I had just one wish for all of these organizations... For me, and for any other theater-going, arts-loving person out there, do us a favor and take some risks. Go out there and do something daring. Do something provocative. Do something that is going to challenge the way I think and feel about art or people, society the world, or just life, anything, anything, anything at all. But please don't do things that are just safe. Don't do things that have been tested somewhere else and have been market researched and uh, have been proven to sell a lot of tickets. Do something that's going to challenge your audience. You know, And that can be done in a hundred different ways. You don't have to uh, put firecrackers under their seats. Uh, and challenge them to run out of the theater before uh, they go off. It can be as simple as as, as doing a, a technique or, or saying something in a different way or taking a chance on a, on a, on a characterization, let's say, or, or uh, the type of work that you, the, the plays that you choose to do or the pieces you choose to do, you know, that, that are not typical or just something different. You know, there's a hundred million different ways to... To, to do something um, outside the box. But that's, that is my one wish. And I hope that as I see shows um, this season, 2011, 2012, that I get to come back to the studio and say, ladies and gentlemen, oh my God, there is some serious risk-taking going on in the Vancouver theater and arts scene, theater, dance, music um, scene. And, um, and, and you know what? Even if, even if the overall... Here's, here's my promise to you. Even if it's not that great no i shouldn't say it not that great even if overall the production isn't maybe 100% enjoyable or the ending wasn't so satisfying i will i would totally forgive that if it was daring and risky and provocative i would totally say you know what the ending was a little lackluster but overall the production took some serious uh risks and for the most part they those risks paid off kudos to them that's what I. That's what I want to say. So, from my little perch here at CITR, I I wish that upon all of you artists. And I mean, that's what I would want. That's what I would uh, expect people of me as an artist, as an actor, as a as a director. Um, I I want to be provocative for you. I want to take risks for you as an audience. Because if you're coming to my theater and you're gonna pay money and sit down, sit your butt down for an hour when you could be, you know, on Facebook or, um, I don't know, taking a long bath or something. You didn't do those things. You decided to come to the theater. The least I can do is, is, uh, is get out of my comfort zone, 
and get out of what I feel safe in and do something do something weird. Do something special, do something odd, do something exciting, do something risky. Okay? So yeah. So yeah, artists out there, go for it. Give her. Alright, uh again I wanna say we're giving away tickets to the trial of Judith K at UBC uh theater. But uh, but first, uh, we, I mentioned earlier that we're going to have um, Culture Days this weekend. And uh, to tell us more about that, I have Anna, who I just want to say I'm so happy is uh, back with us in studio because um, she's been very busy lately and I have had to push the buttons and play ads and it has been killing me. <laughs> so it's not easy. It's not easy. No. So thanks for coming back. It's good to be back. Yeah. And I brought a friend today. You did. Visiting all the way from Mexico. A sexy senorita. <laughs> what is the name? Anna, of course. There are every, every woman in Mexico. Uh, is named all Anna. of us are called Annas. So, you know, if you go travel to Mexico, you just call any woman. Hey. Not Mamacita, but Anna. Yeah. Hola, Anna. And then all the women will turn yeah, around. Yeah, everyone will turn. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, Anna. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've put you to mm -hmm. uh, work, unfortunately. You're a bit yeah. disgruntled about that. But um, your, your challenge is to, is to tell us a little bit about uh, Culture Days coming up. Okay. Well, I'll read through it really quick. But there's two things you can do at least this Sunday, October the 2nd. And if you like theater and you want to check out uh, what's going on in um, what's coming up in the season for the Arts Club Theater... They're doing a reading of Henry and Alice into the wild. I don't know about this play. I don't know if you know anything about I'm it. I'm not familiar with this play. Well, they're doing a reading this Sunday, and it will start at 7 p.m. at the Granville Island stage. Mm. This is free for everyone, and it's part of the company's React New Plays in Progress, a series of uh, features... So that's probably why we haven't heard about it. It's because exactly. it's a new play and it's being uh, worked on. And exactly. people get to see a piece of it for free. Yeah. Well, a reading. You know, you'll see. It's kind of yeah. cool just to sit around and reading because you, you like. You get see, to imagine. The, you get to imagine and you see the actors without the costumes. Like mm -hmm. you get really raw theater. Mm -hmm. And cool. um, yeah, that should be fun. That's as uh, part of the Arts Club Theater Company. And that day, earlier that day, you can also go to the Vancouver Playhouse. They're doing the same type of thing. Where is it? Yeah. And uh, again, a behind-the-scenes look at... Uh, it's more about the space, really. There's no... Um, uh, they won't be doing like any, any reading or anything. or anything. No, but it's like a tour. Oh, a tour and of the, the playhouse. Of, of the playhouse. Mm -hmm. And there's a look at the new recital hall space. Ooh. It's a new space they'll have at the playhouse. And... Uh, will become a second stage for the season. Okay. And cool. a wine wine tasting. So mm. if you want to, you know, have At some the playhouse? Wine, yeah, wine okay. tasting for free. And that is same day, Sunday at 2 p.m. from 2 to 4. So you can do that and then head to Granville Island and check out the Arts Club nice. as well. And do both of those. And they're all free. They are free. So you can free. have some wine at the Playhouse and then go over to the Arts Club. Yeah. Nice. And be all drunk. Reading, listening to a reading of a play. I found a, a couple of other things uh, for Culture Days, which technically are from September 30th until October the 2nd. And there's things like a breakfast Friday morning with Culture Minister Ida Chong. Mm -hmm. And that is hosted by the Vancouver AM Tourism Association. And that's going to happen at the Vancouver Convention Center West 
at 7 a.m. Mmm, that seems a little bit early for me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Breakfast. This one is not free. It is $35 for members and $50 for non-members. Uh, there's also a party at the CBC Plaza with Gian Gomeshi. Um, and that's coming at... You have to show up at 10 a.m. outside the CBC Studios on which day is that? Uh, Friday, Friday, September 30th at 10 a.m. Mm -hmm. And uh, official kickoff is at 10.45. And there's a Culture Days rap party. Do you have anything on that? No. Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's but it's a, a party. <laughs> it's, a, it's happening at 560, Club 560, which is 560 Seymour. And that will be happening when and where is this happening? At 6 p.m. to midnight on, I believe, the last day, October mm -hmm. the 2nd? On the Sunday. Sunday evening at uh, 6 p.m. to midnight. And uh, there will be an, an art exhibition happening there called Connecting the Dots. See, there's a period between those words. Connecting the Dots. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to wrap up our Culture Days. Thank you. So check that out. And if you want to know more... You can always visit www.culturedays.ca. Awesome. Thanks, Anna. You're welcome. And we'll be back after the Arts Report to do Disc Order Radio. Yes. Isn't that right? Yes. Stay tuned for 6 uh, p.m. to listen to Disc Order Show. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick little breaky-poo. And <laughs> when we return, we'll tell you about the trial of Judith Kay coming to UBC Theater. So stay with us for that. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Flaming Angels Boutique, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, Red Cat Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, RX Comics, Temple of the Modern Girl, and The Wallflower Modern Diner. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. And we're back on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. Just after this next interview, we will be giving away two tickets for this Friday to see The Trial of Judith Kay at UBC at the Frederick Wood Theatre at UBC. So get your dialing fingers ready now. I'll tell you the number right now just to have it ready. And it's 604-822-2487. That's 604 822 2487, but do not dial now, please. Uh, wait till I give the word after this interview. Okay, so let's, uh, let's get on with it. UBC Theatre is taking Kafka's classic The Trial about a man who was put on trial by a distant authority without ever knowing what the crime is and giving it a fresh spin. Well, to be accurate, playwright and UBC alumnus Sally Clark gave The Trial a new spin in 1985. For example, changing the lead character from a man to a woman. Uh, since it was originally written, it was nominated for the Dora Mayer Moore Award as well as the Governor General's Award for Best Play. And now in 2011, it is back at UBC Theatre. Um, so Sally Clark came to our studios at CITR and we talked about how the gender switch alters the dynamic of the story. And also we, we talked quite a bit about playwriting in general and, and how it compares to other media. But first, here is Sally Clark talking about how Kafka's writing has remained relevant. Um, he really captured the the uh, whole interplay between um, 
a human being in the in a sort of an office or a state-like environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were looking at novels before, then they were more personal, and that the person mm-hmm. had a home. And this was probably the first one of the first novels where the person had no home per se. Mm-hmm. They're always shunted between one office to another office to another office. So I think there's a fascination in that because our society is becoming more and more like that it's becoming very impersonal and there is a sort of a sense that there is this hierarchy at work but and you are somewhere in the hierarchy but you have to keep manipulating yourself through the levels Mm, in that respect could you say that it's maybe more relevant or it gets more relevant as as we get more into this sort of technological age where you know people can you know live in multiple cities in their lifetimes or or telecommute and you know um, work from home for companies on the other side of the world um you know things like that um you know, could you could you say that it's getting more relevant? Possibly. I, I mean, I think what is relevant about it is that the the novel is about a mistake, mm-hmm. and it's about somebody trying to rectify a mistake mm-hmm. in a, in a bureaucratic hierarchical environment, mm-hmm. and you can't do it. So you know, he's she's arrested and doesn't know what her crime is. Mm-hmm. So it's that sense of helplessness that I think a lot of people feel now. Yeah, yeah, and that sort of um, relationship to the big bureaucratic thing, yeah. right? Which you can't really. You can't really rationalize with or deal with the way you can with another person, right? Yeah, that's right. And then uh, in the course, uh, he meets people that he thinks he's getting somewhere with, but really they're just another face of that bureaucracy. <laughs> right. And in terms of uh, the adaptation, what did you want to you know, accentuate or bring out or do differently? Well, um, when I was originally commissioned by Tamanus Theatre to write it, and it was supposed to be a one-woman show, and it was they were very interested in Nicaragua and... and uh, trials of people in, in, in arrested in Nicaragua, mm-hmm. um, which is more serious than, than what I was hoping to write. Mm-hmm. And then what happened is that director wasn't able to direct the show, and Morris Panitch took over. And I, for some coincidence, both of us had, were reading Milan Kundera at the same time, and he had just given an interview saying that uh, this book was supposed to be funny, and that North Americans had completely misunderstood okay. Kafka, and mm-hmm. that he's actually, uh, it's actually a comedy. Interesting. Yeah. So um, you obviously, and you agree with that. Oh, completely. <laughs> and so did Morris. So we had up this first meeting, and he said, "Well, I think it should be funny. And can we have a lot of people? Because I've, I've got a big cast here, and I like to put. And I went, <laughs> I've got a lot Perfect. of actors to put to work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, will you write another play? Um, I'd like to. I, I just yeah. uh, I got really quite a, interested in in fiction. Yeah, novel and, writing. Um, how are the How are the two different? Because I imagine, um, you know, those two mediums. Um, I would think are quite different in They're terms really of the different. way you deliver a story, right? Yeah, um, playwriting is more—it's um, more like poetry in that in that it's it comes to you in bits and pieces, and you write it down, and you then you think about it a lot. But you do more thinking than writing. Mm-hmm. So I might mm. spend um, oh I don't know a year writing a play, but the actual writing is actually kind of in spit, yeah, in spurts, fits, yeah, and in stuff. spurts, yeah. But with fiction writing, it's just a—it's a bit of a slog. I mean, you're literally writing all it and mm-hmm. and just it, it's very different process and so i guess it's kind of a mood so lately i had been in a mood where i felt like just just writing just writing, sitting down and yeah, getting going yeah. mm-hmm. and lately i'm now feeling more like i think i want to go back to playwriting again mm. because it, it is kind of more um it's just more playful i mean to use the sorry which one it's more playful to theater be, use a pun yeah mm-hmm. um, right <laughs> That's <more> sorry <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, pun police <laughs> um do you think that it's. Would you say? Would you agree that because you mentioned poetry there, it's more. Yeah. It's more like poetry. Is that because it's more about? 
emotions and imagery and very much yeah, yeah. it's images and, and and quite often the images when i'm writing a play the images don't i have no idea why i'm writing this scene like oh, i'll okay. go that is really odd okay i'll put this scene in it doesn't seem to have any relationship to what i think i'm going to write and then i'll get images i use like for my plays i would get these images that came out of nowhere that were like Somehow that had to be in the play. Yeah. So I kind of much more. I kind of follow my intuition yes. and, ju- and just write down about all these things that seem to be disconnected, mm-hmm. and then I would kind of meditate on it and think, well, okay, let's work it out. Mm-hmm. And then I'd also have a plot, but I'd kind yeah. of throw the plot in and out of the imagery. And that's where you say the thinking comes in. You do you do some writing like this where you yeah. put down these these things that are just happening, and then as time goes by, do you do you find that these things start to you start to see the patterns or or maybe do you just get rid of things later and think you know that was inspiring them but not anymore no quite often they stay yeah. and uh, quite often i will yeah th- that scene keep i'll them. keep like I, when i was writing moo uh, you know i started in in the 1918 and there was a story happening in 1918 and suddenly i had this scene where he's there the man that she's having this relationship with is like on his third marriage and he's 65 and he's talking to his third wife and i thought so I just wrote it, right? Okay. But, and then worked out how that scene related to the story wow. I was telling. And it's quite fun to do that because it's, um, yeah, you, you you just, it's more um, it's more of a mystery. You know, you're sort right. of solving things within your own psyche. <laughs> right, like a detective going yeah, into your own yeah, head and yeah. going, why are these things Why here? do you do that? <laughs> Interesting. So I think it, it must require, you know, for, for maybe young playwrights listening, uh, working on their first uh, projects, you do have to sort of just be courageous and just follow. Yeah, absolutely. Instincts. Like the, the whole, see, I've never been able to do synopsis, mm. which is what everybody says you're supposed to do. You're supposed to plan it all out and know how it's going to start and how it's going to end and okay. everything that comes in between. At the very most, I've known how it's going to begin and I've known the ending, but I have no idea what the middle part is. Hmm. And to me, that's what writing's about. It's about writing to find out. That journey mm-hmm. in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Great. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd want to add about uh, the trial of Judith Kay? Well, Taminish did want it to be a woman. And, and um, that was, um, I think, in a way, in the 80s, there was a certain amount of, you know, it was feminism, like we have to put a woman in all these male roles. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to do it with a woman because it did the sexual politics mm-hmm. of what Kafka had written and the relationships that Joseph Kay had with women. When If I transpose them to Judith Kay mm-hmm. and men, the attitude of the society was completely different to with her relationships. Mm-hmm. So I found that fascinating because mm. you, you couldn't, when you transpose them, you, you did get these kind of glitches. It was like, oh, that's a weird thing for her to do. But right. in the book, it wasn't odd for Joseph K at all. Okay. And were you comfortable with that? You're like, you, you know, after that initial like, ooh, this is startling. Um, were you okay with that? Or did I you was, have to find ways to, you know? Well, change like things it, up a bit. In the, in the book, um, like I always think of uh, Kafka as being, uh, as I said, a, a comedy, but I think of it like Joseph K. instead of being this, a lot of the movies always portrayed him as this victim and sort of meek and, and sort of just downtrodden by these forces. Yeah. I always saw him more like Woody Allen. You know, mm-hmm. so the idea is he's kind of a bit of a weasel, like he's sort of, you know, and he's smart and he's like weaseling out of his way out of things as opposed right. to, oh, poor me. Right. Rather than just a victim, he's more of an active agent. Yeah. And so I wanted Judith Kay to be like that. Uh-huh. And um, in in the book, Joseph Kay seduces all these women. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the interesting thing, because when you have a woman seducing all these men, uh-huh. it 
doesn't have that James Bond effect, you know. <laughs> like it's, people, at least in the '80s, people kind of went, "Oh, I don't know about that," you know. Or, okay. I don't know how they'd feel now, but yeah. that was kind of the way they felt in the '80s. You know, they thought she was a bit of a slut for right. seducing all these men, right? Right, like you say, James Bond, where it wasn't like, "Oh, this, this guy's, um, you Can, know, this guy's cool." Yeah. Instead, it was like, "What's her problem?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, you know, yeah, exactly. They didn't go, "Oh, yeah, she's attractive." It was just like, "Whoa." Interesting. She's, she has a neuroses here, you know. <laughs> right. So it'll it'll be interesting to see now in 2011 how those um, interactions, the, those sexual politics, yeah, um, yeah. Are, are are perceived by the audience. Yes, it will be interesting. You know, and I haven't, as I said, I haven't seen the play for many, many mm. years. So. I'll be perceiving them as well. Yeah, <laughs> so you'll it'll have really the raw audience I'll be perspective going, oh as well. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully in a good way. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I'm happy about. Yeah, it looks like they're having a lot of fun with it. And that's Sally Clark. Looking forward to see the trial of Judith Kay coming to the Frederick Wood Theater. Opening night is tomorrow, September the 29th, and it runs until October the 8th. And that is directed by Tom Schulte. Now here's a. A critique by the Toronto Star, and it says, Sally Clark's great talents as a playwright are her seemingly effortless ability to shift from light to dark and her finely tuned understanding of life's rich ambiguities. That's the Toronto Star. Obviously not talking about the UBC production, because they're in Toronto, but, um, but just it gives you an idea of Sally Clark's uh, abilities, which you will get to see if you check out the show. Uh, tickets to that uh, range from 10 to $22, and I believe on Mondays there is a $5 rush um, ticket price. So so get ready on Mondays to run run to the Frederick Wood and get a cheap seat at the theater. But uh, the cheapest uh, way to get in is to see it for free, and that's uh, by calling in right now to us, and you will receive a pair of free tickets to see The Trial of Judith K. And in the meantime, we will take a little break. That number, by the way, is 604-822-2487. So if you call now, you will get free tickets to the trial of Judith K. That's 604-822-2487. And uh, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, uh, we'll tell you about Call Me Fits. And we'll speak to Jason Priestley about that one. Anna's very excited. So stay with us. The Biltmore Cabaret is your home for great live music in Vancouver. September 8th, freak out with San Francisco psych rockers Sleepy Sun, sharing the stage with White Hills and Red Cedar. Expect to hear lots of cuts from Fever, the new album out on ATP Recordings. September 19th, prepare to have your mind blown by supersonic showman Bob Log III, a one-man slide guitar army who performs in a super tight jumpsuit and a motorcycle helmet with a microphone that's a telephone attached. You heard me. September 22nd, find out if Regina's library voices can all fit on the Biltmore stage as they tour across the continent playing tracks from their new album, Summer of Lust. Dinosaur Bones and the Provincial Archival open the show. September 26th, see Giant Sand take the stage in support of the new album, Blurry Blue Mountain. Cloud Splitter and Wool on Wolves will warm up the stage. For more information on these and other shows, including how to get tickets, visit BiltmoreCabaret.com.
The Vancouver International Film Festival is back, September 29th through October 14th. Celebrating 30 years of outstanding cinema, VIF 2011 will screen some of the best films from around the world in a 16-day extravaganza. Be sure to check out The Girls in the Band, a bebop documentary uncovering the startling history of female jazz musicians and all-woman big band music, and proudly sponsored by your comrades at CITR 101.9 FM, and The Family Jams, a lo-fi documentary about Devendra Banhart, Joanna Newsom, and Vetiver's 2004 North American Tour, sponsored by the good folks at Discorder Magazine. For locations, showtimes, and everything else you could possibly want to know about the Vancouver International Film Festival, visit vif.org. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM and online at citr.ca. You can catch the Arts Report on YouTube of all places. We have some highlight interviews um, that we enjoyed doing over the year. Year and a half. Interviews that are good. We put them up on YouTube. This is what I'm trying to say. So all you have to do is go to youtube.com and write uh, Arts Report on CITR. And you will get a list of all the interviews that we've got up there. Um, One thing you will find up there is This Fringy Life, which is a podcast series we did for the Fringe Festival. And so I just kind of want to say thanks to the hundreds of people who checked out our um, episodes of This Fringy Life on uh, on YouTube. Uh, That was... That podcast series was also on the Vancouver Fringe website, and I have no idea what the the listenership stats are for that. But, of course, on YouTube, you have the views, so you can see how many people have viewed each video. So taken all together, there was six episodes. It was like somewhere around 150 or 200 people um, saw that. So uh, check that out if you can. The Fringe is obviously over, but they were really, really fun podcasts to do. To do, they were uh, a really neat challenge uh, for us here at the Arts Report to do. We did it last year, but this time we we modeled our approach more on This American Life, which is uh, this lovely documentary show that tells these lovely stories with regular folks, and they get people to tell the stories in in the podcast, and then they edit them, edit these stories in a way that's very narratively compelling and then they add you know music to certain the climactic bits of the story they add little bits of music and then you know they weave sort of uh, different conversations and sometimes at the beginning you don't know what is this episode about but as the conversations weave together you get this beautiful sort of picture of of a theme anyway so we obviously could not possibly match them in their awesomeness but uh, we tried (laughs) we made we made a little uh, podcast series so check us out Uh, we're on youtube and we're on facebook and twitter too but uh, you'll have to find that yourself just go to citr.ca you'll get all the links there all right oh by the way congratulations to joe who got those uh tickets to uh the trial of judith k uh that's coming to ubc theater all right i love you joe oh anna's got some love for you joe all right (laughs) moving on uh here's the synopsis for the uh television program call me fitz handsome Substance-abusing used car salesman Richard Fitz Fitzpatrick torments his naive co-workers, sleeps with any, women who has a, any woman who has a pulse, and thinks nothing of it. Then, one day, after a stunt that puts his customer in a hospital, he finally meets his conscience in the flesh. Don't miss this hilarious new comedy about a man who is literally forced to battle with his inner conscience and share a desk with him. So... Uh, bearing that in mind, and of course uh, seeing the show, I was intrigued by the idea of an actor playing a flawed, um, vice-loving, um, you know, philandering, lying, uh, womanizing character. Uh, 
a bad guy, if you will. So I wanted to ask Jason Priestley, who is the star of this show and, and sometimes director, I wanted to ask him about that, knowing, you know, about being a bad guy, knowing full well that no actor, at least not a good actor, will admit that his character is a bad guy, right? Because if you're playing it, you are going to think you're the hero of your own life story, right? As people do. Nobody thinks I'm a horrible human being. <laughs> They think I'm great. What's wrong with everyone else? Right. So if you're going to play a bad person, you obviously cannot start by um, thinking of yourself as a bad guy. Plus, good guys tend to be boring, right? Well, here's Jason Priestley. Well, they, well, they do. Absolutely. I mean, if you're, play, if you're playing a very altruistic character, yeah. those characters tend to be very one-note characters. But, but, I, but I think that's, you know, if you get back to the core of what you were just talking about, you know, actors, actors when they are portraying characters that are, that are, that are maybe uh, that other people look at as bad guys, yeah. you know, you know, th you know, uh, you know, here's the deal. Um, Uh, Dick Cheney doesn't think Dick Cheney's a bad guy. <laughs> exactly. The rest of the world thinks he's a bad guy, but Dick Cheney loves Dick Cheney. <laughs> so, so, so the actor who's playing Dick Cheney has to love Dick Cheney as well. Yes, exactly. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, Otherwise, so it wouldn't be a good performance, would it? It wouldn't be a rich. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, let me. So, there's, so, 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 you, so, so, as an actor, you always have to love the character that you're playing. Yeah, for and sure. and and it's and it's and it's 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 very simple, you know. Um, and 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 you know, you know, with you know, with Richard, it's it's very, you know, you know, the show is, you know, the, you know, the show is a comedy, and maybe Richard does some questionable things, but but right. the show, you know, along with the comedy of the show, the show is a tragedy as well, and it's. It's it's the tragedy of the of the Fitzpatrick family and you know and what alcohol has to that family and what 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 an abusive father has done to that family and what his you know what his mother did when when his mother abandoned the family when 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 the kids were little you know it's 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 you know the, along with the comedy has to come tragedy that's what makes that's what makes a show like ours work and that's what makes a, a show like that uh, which makes a show like ours hopefully um, last a long time right. So the the DVD of the first uh, season is out now, and I just I want to ask you what was the appeal for you uh, of doing this kind of format because it seems to be a very uh, popular option for a lot of people to get into series um, almost in one go. You know, a lot of people don't have time for TV, but they're almost like a novel. They're able to take a, a season of or or, a, or the whole series of say The Wire or whatever it is, and just kind of sit down and and enjoy it from start to finish. So I just wonder what uh, what attracted you to the the sort of HBO format. Um. Uh, you know, well, you know, HBO is a great place for us to have this show on because it gives you know they give us the freedom to to you know to speak in the language that these characters would speak in and to you know and to drink and to do drugs and to you know to utilize all the tools that these characters would utilize in, in the world in which they live yeah. and they and they give us the the creative freedom to um to you know to play in that very in that very fertile in that very fertile sandbox that we that we like to call that we like to call home yeah So it's it's about having the the, the freedom to explore um, everything that the characters need to explore, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I mean, you know, you just don't get that freedom on on network television. But but on you know on a premium pay service like HBO, you know, they they leave us alone and give us the artistic freedom to really take the show to the places that it needs to go. 
Um, is it uh, is it true that you also direct the show? Sometimes. Uh, yeah, I do. I direct. I direct two episodes every year. And I, I just want to ask you um, what you what you enjoy the most, or what do you get out of sort of creatively out of uh, directing? Was it something that um, you always saw, like when you were acting? Um, you know, you'd see the director and you'd say, "That's something I want to do someday," or or was it just something that that sort of came up later in your career? Well, no, it was. I mean, I, I mean, I've always, uh, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've always uh, directed, and I've always enjoyed directing. I mean, you know, I started directing theater when I was still in high school, huh. so uh, directing is something that I've been doing for a very, very, very long time. Would you say it's um, a, it's a and, bigger love than, than acting? Could you could you make such a statement? Um, uh, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't say it's a, a bigger love. I, I'd say it's an equal love. I mean, yeah. there, you know, there, there's such different jobs, and they require. Um, such a different uh, focus and such different skill sets um, that that you know it's, it's truly comparing apples and oranges. Do they? Is there any crossover at all? Like, do, does one uh, inform or, or, or help the other? I, I believe so. Yeah, I think I think they both inform uh, each other, um, and I I think that you know the the more I the more I do both, it makes me better at both. Right. So the more you direct, the more you have insights as an actor, and vice versa. It makes you. I would imagine it makes you a better director because you know what you know how to talk to actors and how to get uh, what you need out of them in a way that's not um, you know inappropriate or, or just artificial or whatever. <laughs> well, I, I you know I, I like to think so. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, actors actors have a certain shorthand uh, when they talk to other actors. Right. Um, you know, we all uh, you know we we all have a way of talking to each other. Um, and, uh, you know, and if you're not in that club, you know, you don't know the secret handshake. So it makes it a little, a little more efficient, the process, yeah? It's, uh, it certainly does. <laughs> it certainly does. Great. Well, we're looking forward to, uh, to the DVD and, and the next season. Um, thanks so much for your time. All right. You got it, man. Thank you. Nice talking to you. And that's Jason Priestley from Call Me Fitz, which is now, the first season is now out on DVD for $39.99, and that's um, out from E1 Films. And that was released uh, yesterday, September 27th, so it is out now wherever fine DVDs are found. So check that out. Uh, you know, when I uh, had my passport photos uh, taken recently, they told me that I look like uh, Jason Priestley. <laughs> True story. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Anyway, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll give you a preview of the Vancouver International Film Festival, which I enjoy saying now, because every, when it was the Fringe Fest, uh, myself and everybody kept, when they wanted to say Fringe, would say Film, and uh, now, I, now I'm worried that I'm going to say Fringe, but no, it's the Film Fest. So we'll talk about the Film Fest, and we'll also tell you about a showing at the Charles H. Scott Gallery. Uh, called The Voyage, or Three Years at Sea. So stay with us. Thinking about studying a diploma, undergrad, or postgrad degree overseas? Or how about volunteering or working abroad? Language travel? Adventure travel? If you answered yes to any or all of these, you should check out the Study and Go Abroad Fair, Tuesday, October 4th, from 12 to 6 p.m. at the Vancouver Convention Center. All attendees will be entered into a grand prize draw. Universities and colleges from around the world will be on hand to talk to interested students. To register and learn more, visit studyandgoabroad.com. Hi, this is Jason Priestley. You're listening to The Arts Report. 
<laughs> yeah, love that. You are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and online at citr.ca. We are on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. and we've got uh, just under 20 minutes left of this program. If you've missed any of our show, you can catch the podcast in approximately an hour or two. And you can see that uh, podcast by going to citr.ca and just follow the links uh, from shows to podcast and then A is Arts Report. So check that out. I think just from our blog post today, by the way, if you go to citr.ca every Wednesday, you get a rundown of all the features we've had on the show. And I think there are links that you can see there. And now we want to give you a little preview of the film festival. And it's starting tomorrow, September 29th, and it's running until October the 14th. So that's, oh, that's just about three weeks it's just under three weeks, and that is tons of time to see a lot of different films from every country on Earth. And it's really quite affordable, and uh, you can see films all over, all over the city. Um, and to tell us a little bit about that, we have our support correspondent, Jasmine Thomas. Hello, Jasmine. Hi. Um, I guess Adam gave you the rundown. If you go to vif.org, you can get all the information about tickets and dates, and there's a lot of movies, so there's a lot of dates. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of ways to get tickets. Rush, um, at the door, online. But I'm here to tell you about the films. And I certainly can't do justice to every film at the festival because there's too many. So I've selected just a few. The first one I'm going to talk about is 18 Days, which is a film that documents the 2011 Egyptian Revolution. This film may be a bit uneven and patchy because it comprises so many shorts from so many different directors. But it is definitely a, feel, a film to see if you're interested in the international scene because it offers a clear view into the Egyptian revolution, something the news will never give you. And it also taps on your emotions as it presents the pride, hope, and unity of a nation surrounded by poverty and corruption. Another one, uh, Peace Out, concerns the Canadian energy consumption issue that is currently a problem. Um, the film is directed by Charles Wilkinson. It offers insights into the way into the price we pay for technological affluence. Um, environmental films, film activists or whatever, will certainly love this film, but it is also a great film if you're interested in the green sector of our economy, which is definitely growing at a rapid pace. Um, another one is 40 Days at Base Camp, which endeavors to uncover the secrets of Mount Everest. This is a documentary about the lives of the men and women who have taken the trip to the top those who have made it, and unfortunately those who have not. It may be a documentary, but it offers a beautiful story about the people of the mountains. And uh, Seeking the Current is another environmental documentary, and this one is about the hydro projects in Quebec. It is a movie for both environmentalists and political junkies, as it discusses some of the governmental decisions regarding the industry. And finally, Laura Rocks, which I hope I pronounced correctly, is another film about a young woman who contracts HIV-AIDS while working in the porn industry. Her plans to work only briefly in the industry were turned awry when she contracted the disease. After her diagnosis, her life is filled with difficult issues like addiction, mental illness, destruction, and identity concerns. This is definitely a go-see, as it brings an illness that is often overlooked onto the center stage. And I know I just rambled on for a long time, but there's a lot of movies, not only documentaries, so make sure you go to vif.org. Awesome. Thanks, Jasmine. You're welcome. (laughs) I I can't see it. You can't can't hear a thumbs up. 
Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, check out vif.org for for info on the film fest. We will have more features on the film fest. Uh, next week, including, let me just pull up this page in front of me here, including, oh boy, where is it? Uh, here we go. <laughs> including uh, two films in particular. Ah, oh, dang. I'm sorry. I should have really had this ready beforehand. Uh, ah, here it is. Okay, Waiting for Rain. <laughs> this is very climactic. We'll tell you about a film called Waiting for Rain. Uh, we'll talk to Josh Epstein, the filmmaker of that. It's a, it's a local um, project. As well, we will tell you about a film called The Provider, and that's uh, also a local, uh, locally made film with um, uh, arts scene uh, extraordinaire Andy Thompson is, uh, is a producer on that. He did uh, 1984 last season at uh, The Culture, and he's extremely talented. We featured a hugely long interview with him uh, last season. I make it sound like, like... I don't know how I make that sound. What? We had a long interview with him, and, and that means it was good. Anna, stop laughing at me. Uh, so, yeah, so next week we'll have uh, more uh, VIF content for you, and probably the week after that as well, because it's, uh, it's, go- it's taking over the city for... for uh, almost three weeks, which is awesome. So check out some films. Okay. Uh, the second in a multi-part series about the sea, The Voyage, or Three Years at Sea Part 2, is on now at the Charles H. Scott Gallery at Emily Carr. The exhibition looks at ill-fated voyages from Shackleton's Arctic expedition to Bas Jan Ader's attempt to sail across the Atlantic. And it features such artists as Matthew Benedict, Carl Hendel, Nina Kachadorian, and Slave Pianos. Our support correspondent, Sarah Lapsley, spoke to Kate Rimmer, the curator of the Charles H. Scott Gallery. Here is Kate Rimmer to tell us about the ideas or the conceptualization behind this exhibition. Where it sort of came from is that I found it interesting that there was quite a lot of work out there about the sea, which we sort of think of as being such a sort of um, romantic... Um, in many ways, kind of old-fashioned um, um, subject matter. Um, but there were a lot of you know, contemporary artists, conceptual artists, that kind of thing, doing work about the sea. So I was kind of thinking that you know, this kept coming up in my, uh, in my research. And so I um, thought I would do one exhibition, and then I realized that there was just such a, uh, a you know, diverse amount of work um, and different sort of takes on the subject of the sea. So then um, it expanded and expanded, and... In my reading, I, I was thinking about this idea of uh, embarking on a voyage and um, just that kind of commitment and the, the preparation and then you sort of embark to sort of see what you see. I mean, you have plans, but they're all, you know, uh, just given the, you know, the way that those things work, um, it, it, they could unexpectedly change, anything could happen. So I kind of liked this idea of, of embarking on this um, curatorial project. Um, so I um, decided to think of it as, yes, yeah, so sort of think about it this way, and so I decided that three years would be great. I mean, you know, you could go five years, there's a lot of voyages for five years, but I sort of thought three is a manageable number. Um, and many people think that that, in their head, they're sort of thinking that's three exhibitions, but it will be uh, at least six exhibitions, and then um, a lot of sort of um, public programming and publications and all these other things that will come out of it. And um, a lot of that is really just developing as the project um, goes forward and, and different you know, possibilities come up. 
Um, it's like it's just such an exciting project because you know as a curator you're always you know you you even though if you're doing research and you're doing an exhibition you never kind of feel like you're given the time to really tackle it, it, it fully and. Um, it's been such a pleasure to just really immerse myself in this research, um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of the, the premise of the exhibition. Um, so the first one was the one with Rodney Graham and uh, Tassadine, and um, you know I I've loved Tassadine's work for years, and she's done a lot of work about the sea, and uh, particularly about Donald Crowhurst. Um, and then when I saw Rodney's lighthousekeeper work, I just I mean, I thought, oh my God, those two have to go together. I mean, in many ways, the way that they they work um, is so compatible, and then uh, just the subject. Um, I've always loved lighthouses too, so you know, I just um, love the idea of putting those two together. So that was the first exhibition, and um, in working, I guess, in developing this exhibition too, you know, there's a the contemporary art side of it, but then I also thought that I would like to. Um, Kind of introduce um, objects and, and, and materials that uh, that anchor it to kind of local, um, particularly local um, historical, you know, the history of the sea here. Because you know, even though in Vancouver we're surrounded by the sea, most people don't actually have that much contact with the sea. And certainly, when I started to do this research, I was amazed at the stories that I was discovering that I had no idea, you know were what had um, happened here and so I really wanted to kind of bring that out too um, and I'm also interested in working um, collaborative, collaboratively not just with other kind of contemporary arts organizations but um, museums that um, you know we tend to kind of compartmentalize our audiences so you'll have the sort of you know, maritime museum audience and you know, contemporary art audience, and I really wanted to kind of try and bring those audiences together. Um, so I'm developing this collaborative relationship with the uh, Vancouver Maritime Museum, and that's been really interesting as well because there's so much potential. I mean, even just for contemporary artists to go into their space, uh, look at their collections, and develop exhibitions out of that. So that's another part of it. So with the first one, um, I sort of initiated that where I I um, brought in these archival um, materials and and, um, and some objects. So then this exhibition is the second one, and um, so the first one that dealt with lighthouses, this is ill-fated voyages. Mm -hmm. So we kind of got off the land and went <laughs> into treachery in a way. Um, so um, I had seen years ago the Nina Kachadurian piece, um, Endurance, where she projects uh, the film of the Endurance uh, breaking up. Uh, and she projects it on her shoes, and it's sort of an act of endurance to uh, project the, the film of the endurance cracking up. So uh, I, you know, I, it was one of those things that stuck in my mind for all these years, and decided um, when I was doing that that this would be perfect. Um, then I saw uh, Carl Handel's work that is um, all those amazing drawings of uh, um, Shackleton's expedition, uh, 1912 to. 1914, I think, uh, expedition in, in um, to the Antarctic, um, and you know, just again, the sort of sense of um, um, what was it? It was like, you know, going on a voyage like that. You just there's so much kind of faith involved, and a, a lot of human folly as well. And I was a little bit interested in all these ideas of like sort of failure and folly, and um, looking at 
researching shipwrecks, a lot of shipwrecks are, um, it's kind of, um, you know, things like weather conditions, but it's, but just these tiny slip-ups that a, a person makes, and we make them all the time, can have these catastrophic consequences. So, um, you know, I was kind of interested in making those connections. Um, and then, um, you can't do an exhibition of ill-fated voyages without Bastien Lauder, of course. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, it, it's such a uh, kind of compelling story, um, that he would just, you know, go off to sea in this, because a 12-foot boat is minuscule, and kind of have this faith. And there's this sort of question about whether he actually really intended, like if he felt that he would complete the voyage, or whether he was, um, in a sense, committing suicide, which um, really kind of fit into the kind of thinking mm -hmm. in his work. Mm -hmm. So, just a bit of context for people who don't know who he is. He was a contemporary artist in the 70s? In the, yeah, in the 60s and the 70s. Um, he did that work in um, 71, I believe it was. Um, so he had done a lot of works. So this one where he said, you know, I'm too sad to tell you what's, what is it? Where he's crying. You know, there's a lot of kind of emotional um, things and, and failure. This, the ones where he's falling, you know, there's a lot of this kind of, um, um, setting himself up to fail in a sense, mm -hmm. um, or this kind of emo raw emotion and that sort of thing, um, but within this really interesting conceptual um, framework. Um, so he's, he is hugely influential to a lot of um, contemporary artists. Um, art students love his work. And, you know, he's, uh, it's interesting because I was talking to the gallery that um, kind of oversees his estate, and it's, it, 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 he's really an artist artist, like artists love him, but the, you know, the general public actually doesn't know that much about Bassin Otter. Um, I hope, you know, hopefully that will change. And that's Kate Rimmer speaking to our correspondent Sarah Lapsley, and the show is The Voyage, or Three Years at Sea, Part 2. Now, Part one of the Voyager Three Years at Sea featured artist Rodney Graham, and we have an awesome interview with Rodney Graham on our YouTube page, which is uh, just Arts Report in uh, in YouTube. If you just go to the YouTube and type in Rodney Graham interview, uh, it'll pop up, and it's actually one of our most popular YouTube interviews. So you can check that out as well. Now, the Voyage, uh, the, the the Charles H. Scott Gallery, where the voyage is taking place, is at the uh, Emily Carr University of Art and Design, and the, this exhibition is running until October the 23rd of this year. So check it out and keep your eyes peeled for um, part three. Am I crazy? Or did I say that this is part of a multi... It is a multi-part series, but I'm not sure if there's a part three. <laughs> keep your eyes peeled, because there may be a part three sometime in the future. All right, so this brings us to the end of our show, uh, The Art Support. We are on every Wednesday at 5 p.m., and we have a podcast. So if you've missed any of our show, you can catch our podcast at citr.ca. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are the citr underscore arts report. And we, what else can I tell you? Oh, yeah, we're also on Facebook. It's called uh, The Arts Report on CITR. There's a theme, uh, if you can detect it. It's that it includes the words arts report and the word CITR. So just punch that into your favorite social media device, and likely you will find us. 
So this episode, uh, I wanna I wanna thank uh, everyone who helped make it, including Jasmine and Anna here in the studio with me. Thank God you were here in the studio, Anna, and uh, and Jeannie on our blog and social media side, and everyone else who helps uh, bring you uh, Sarah, of course, and everyone who who brings the art support to life every week. We are all volunteers, and we slave for our art. So um, thanks for listening, and uh, join us next. Wednesday. Coming up next is uh, Discorder Radio with your host, Anna. That's right. The same Anna. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. <laughs> Hey, hold on, are we rolling? Early Sunday morning through Bakersfield, listening to gospel music. Brothers and sisters, 